0: Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Jill Allo, And I'm Andrea Pearson. And we've got a bit of a mix of topics today. We're going to start out talking about subscription services and how best to use them. This is prompted a bit by ro- rolling out Kobo Plus into its biggest market Canada, but we'll talk a little bit about Kindle Unlimited too and maybe just bracing ourselves or or being excited about it. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, expecting more of these probably to come on in the future. And we're also going to share some tips, kind of marketing, just a few thoughts on marketing and what's working for us right now here. We're recording this towards the end of July in 2020. And lastly, we've got a few listener questions from you guys from the Facebook group, so we will take those on also before we jump into our categories topics whatever they're called Uh, do you guys have any news that you'd like to share
1: um yeah um okay so i am it's kind of really exciting actually (laughs) sorry i just got giddy all the second i'm an audiobook author um discern and the shade amulet have both been um published and they're available on a bunch of different platforms um they're on okay so they're not on Audible yet. That's the number one question I have been asked by readers. And that's because they're, they are, we're done through the Find Away Voices and Scribes Choice Authors Program. And I'm 100% behind that. So it's not, they're not going to be on Audible for a little while. They are on, on, um, like Scribe. They're on Find They're on Find whatever. They're on Chirp. They're on, um, something called audiobook.com. And another one. <laughs> I don't know very much about this. There's
0: about thirty distributors that find a way. Go to Google Play. Uh, Google, Google Play's in there. Barnes and Noble, I think, is in there. So it's everybody but Amazon, kind of.
1: Yeah, they're on four or five spots so far because Find a Way inscribed picked, 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 and chose, chose, and picked picked <laughs> sorry um different retailers they don't want to have them on everybody it was originally supposed to be exclusive described but they decided to open up to a couple of the other retailers as well and chirp is the one that's owned by BookBub. and i thought for some reason it was hard to get your books on your audiobooks on chirp is that no longer the case
0: all you have to do is go through find voices and you cannot do it directly everything goes through them to get to chirp
1: okay so in other words it's really really difficult just kidding. It's hard as uploading them to find away voices. Yes. Very difficult. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, I set the price for two ninety nine. That's one thing I really liked <clears throat> about this program was they let me pick the narrator. They let me do all of the metadata. So I got to do the book cover myself. Um, I and they let me set the price and I set it for 2.99 for both books because you know it's the first book in a series and I was originally planning on doing it at 99 cents but I was like there's no follow up books and so it needs to have some you know a little bit of cash coming in and um I'm I am banking more on the more downloads will hopefully equal equal in the longer run more readers and, or more listeners and more um, downloads for the rest of the books once those come out rather than making money. And I don't actually make money off of this until it has paid itself back. And so I'm probably not going to make money for years, I'm assuming. Because <laughs> the narrators I picked were not cheap narrators. Well, one of them, I mean, they weren't super expensive. Neither of them were over 400 per finish hour. But that to me is a lot of money. So... um Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes. I honestly don't have any idea of what to expect because this is something I've never done before. Um, everything I know, I've learned from other authors. And so it's just gonna, we're just gonna see how this goes. My original plan was actually to have the narrated. Uh, books for one, two, and three finished before uploading anything. And then I'd have the price for the first one be an introductory price and then the rest of them be a full price audiobook. But, you know, this all happened outside of my control, them picking it and everything, me not getting to do it for, on my own, which by the way, I'm not complaining about. I'm 100 billion percent, uh, thrilled that, um, I got picked up by them. Um, anyway, so I'm going to be learning how to market audiobooks here, especially since Shadow Profit is nearly ready to go live as an audiobook too. I, I'm proofing that right now. So I'll keep everybody posted. Um, listeners, uh, you, you know me. Um, I will be uh, telling you pretty much all the, all the pains and the ins and outs and everything about having an audiobook and then trying to figure out how to market it. Anyway, so um, to me, needing me to send them more info, but their support system has been down every single time I've tried to get in, and that's been going on for like five days now. So uh, another thing to update people on, once that gets resolved, I'm really hoping to get it resolved and move away from MailChimp. Um, and then I just had something that's been on my mind lately. Um, I'm reading a book right now that is a mix between Hunger Games and The Selection. And I am really, really enjoying it despite its many grammar and writing problems. Um, and the story itself is just absolutely fantastic. Um, a few months ago, I totally fell in love with another series that was riddled riddled with jokes and errors, um, And so the whole time I was reading, I was alternating between laughing and wanting to throw my phone across the room. But I, and I did, I read the whole entire series anyway, and I bought the books, even though they're on Kindle limited. Um, and so this, this has actually been on my mind a whole lot lately, just over the last few months. Um, I am a grammar Nazi, like in the past, I would never read something that had, you know if they it gets to the point where I'm just like Ugh, if I roll my eyes too many times or if there's too many story flaws or whatever I won't finish reading but in the case of this book and then the last series they're so good that I haven't been able to put them down and so I'm like it just it shows how important story is um, perfect grammar won't sell a book if the story is bad or stiff or boring or poorly told I mean it won't sell a lot of books it might sell a few but but a great story will sell a book even when the readers are really picky about grammar and English. Um, and so my recommendation to me and to, you know, of course, our listeners and everything is to focus as much time as we can on learning the craft and then on getting our work into readers' hands. Um, and then as you're writing more books books and working with editors, you'll learn the grammar. Um, and of course, keep in mind that it c- this can make for expensive books to edit. But if the story is a good story, then the books will pay for themselves. Um, and I'd actually like to hear, I don't know, from Joan Lindsay, what your opinions are and basically what you guys have done for craft and things like that.
2: Uh, well, I definitely agree that a good story uh, and engaging characters I think even engaging characters even more than a good story like if your characters are good even the plot can be pretty weak and people will keep coming back uh, definitely outweighs errors like my first release of the Book of Deacon uh, had literally hundreds of of typos because it was not professionally edited in any way and it sold enough for me to pay for a professional edit <laughs> so I mean and that was you know I should say the second one did because the first one went free but the point is I was able to edit the trilogy uh, based upon the sales of a of an unedited book because people like the story. And I think that like an editor can fix your, your errors, uh, an editor, I should an editor can also fix a bad story, but it's a much more expensive editor. <laughs> so if you're going to work on the two things, then definitely I would say work on, on putting together an engaging story, uh, to that end, what I did this time, I keep on changing up my, my method for writing a story. And for this book I'm working on right now, I made the potentially disastrous decision not to do my usual tight outline. Uh, I I have my entire story planned, but it's planned as basically a synopsis. Uh, Typically what I do is turn that into a literal outline and then make the outline into scene thumbnails that I fill out in Scrivener. And I have not done that this time. I just immediately started writing. And it feels like it's flowing a lot more spontaneously. But I also, uh, all I need is one landmine of a plot hole that I would have caught if I outlined it correctly, and all of the time that I save goes out the window. So uh, I'm being very mindful of that. Uh, as for news, uh, uh, that book that I'm writing is uh, Big Sigma Six. I, I'm at I think forty-five thousand words today, and that's you know about three, 000, a little over three thousand words a day. So uh, consistent, but not super fast but that's good enough for me right now. Um, by the time the listeners are listening to this, I should already have the pre-order up for my free wrench, free wrench 6, which is called Contaminant 6. Um, I have been dragging my feet on writing the blurb. Otherwise, that would already be up. And I will be doing some promo stuff, obviously, but I'm going to sort of have to wait until the pre order is up before the promos start to make sense, so really i've been a very efficient procrastinator with uh, with my my release schedule for for free red sticks but that's where I am with my know
0: um, to answer andrew's question on the craft stuff or share my thoughts. I actually did not get a lot of grammar stuff in school. I we moved a lot when I was a kid and it may have been that, it may have just been when I was growing up that <laughs> the public school system was a little deficient in that area. But um I picked up a lot just from reading. You know, you can kind of to some extent being an avid reader, you'll get some of the basics. And then uh, after I got out of the army and finished my college degree, I was sort of like, what am I gonna do with myself? You know, and I took a editing Certificate program from the University of Washington, and it was actually really fun. It taught, it taught me that I don't want to become an editor, but I, like, the first quarter was really learning a lot of the grammar stuff that I hadn't gotten. So I'm still not perfect, but I know that my editor has told me a number of times, like, she really appreciates doing my manuscripts because they're pretty easy. Uh, it's usually more brain fart kind of stuff when I make errors than not knowing the rules. Sometimes I have to remind myself like dangling modifier and go, okay, make sure that is what I think it is. But usually you don't need to know those things as a writer. It's just good to know if somebody tells you you're doing it, so you can go look it up and say, oh, okay, I will not do that anymore. That is a common one that (laughs) I've seen. And then I joined a writing workshop off and on for years. And that also kind of helped me learn a lot of the basics, a lot of the, not only having other people critique my stuff, but the process of critiquing their stuff kind of taught me like, why is this not engaging me? I'm like, okay, the conflict's not interesting. The characters are not interesting. So it made me more self-aware of my own work. Um, and at the time, self-publishing wasn't really a thing. So there was no like, oh, I'm just going to hurry up and, and get something out there. It was like, well, I'm going to have to get an agent and a publisher. That was just, you know, two th- 2000s. That was sort of the only path that made sense. So by the time... I learned, got my first Kindle and learned about self-publishing. I was pretty solid in the basic stuff. I still, you know, if there's like an interesting lecture or something on YouTube, or I was just listening to, uh, David Farland has a couple of books called Million Dollar Outline and, uh, The Power of Resonance, I think is the one. And they were on audio So I listened to them and, you know, it was, it was, I thought it's some solid stuff worth, uh, thinking about i a lot of the stuff at this point is i kind of know a lot of it but uh you know it's good to have it in your mind sometimes especially when you're sitting down to start an entire new series and you're sort of crafting everything from scratch that's a a good time to maybe listen to some reminders of uh, (laughs) how to do good characters you know how to make an engaging plot so uh as far as other news for myself not too much i'm editing Uh, my last science fiction novel book eight in the star kingdom series. And it's seven point of view characters. It's the same as the last two have been the same way. And it's, it's about to creep over 140,000 words as I'm editing, which It's nothing compared to an epic fantasy (laughs) It's maybe 300,000 words, but it's pretty complicated, especially in comparison with urban fantasies I've been doing this year that are just one POV character. You're not like over there trying to rearrange scenes and matching up things that are happening in three different storylines to make sure everything flows correctly, so... I will say if you see somebody that's super prolific in putting out a lot of books, they're probably, if you go look through their catalog, you'd be like, okay, a lot of these are like 60,000 words and one or two POV fairly simple novels. If you are writing something historical fiction or epic fantasy, that's, is a lot of point of view characters and is more complicated. Do not feel bad at all if it's taking a while. That's uh, even I slow down a lot for this longer stuff. It's uh, I wrote it pretty quickly, but I'm editing it as slowly as I wrote it, which is not usually the case for me. I can usually edit more quickly, not this time. All right, let's move on to our topic or our first one. We're going to talk a little bit about the subscription services. You may have already heard about Kobo Plus. They've been uh, on a couple blog interviews or podcast interviews and have already been discussed, so I'm just going to say a couple things, a couple of quotes from their websites. Uh, Kobo Plus has officially launched in Canada. For those who need a refresher, Kobo Plus is an all-you-can-read subscription service that we've been offering in the Netherlands and Belgium since 2017. Subscribers pay a flat monthly fee to read unlimited books for as long as they are enrolled in the program, and I will p- include the links to these in the show notes in case you want to check it out in more in more depth. Uh, the other question you may be wondering, because it's a little different than Kindle Unlimited with the pay- being paid by being paid by pages read. With Kobo, it is your payments for Kobo Plus are based on the amount of time that subscribers spent reading your titles in a given month. Each month we will take the total revenue, we'll call that monthly revenue, earned from COBOL Plus subscriptions. We also take the total minutes that all subscribers spent reading that month, minutes read. We divide the monthly revenue by the minutes read, which allows us to assign a monetary value to each minute of reading. Let's call it value per minute consumed. This value will fluctuate month to month based on subscriber number and total reading time. Alright, Joe, you got that formula all worked out and a computer program written to figure it out for your books.
2: I'm sure I could.
0: All right. Well, before we start talking about strategies for subscription services, do you have any do you guys have any thoughts on Kobo's new program? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I like how they're slowly rolling it out. So they like started in, you know, not in America, not in Canada. They're biggest in Canada. They started, you know elsewhere. So Netherlands and Belgium. And I like that, um, because they're, they're doing things slowly. So it doesn't like kill the company, you know, which is the best way to grow a company is slow. Um, the revenue split sounds fair. And I already liked their terms just from, you know, paying attention, not having to be exclusive and all that. Um, and I really hope that they end up becoming a good competitor to Amazon, but of course it's, it'll take a while. Um, the thing I think I like the best is the option to contact them and have them enroll a lot of books, Uh, for one author at once. So if you have a huge catalog, you can be like, hey, can you enroll all of these titles? Um, I'd absolutely hate to go through and do it individually. So the fact that they're actually doing that for authors is pretty awesome. Um, Also, I couldn't see that there's any length of time you have to be in it. I seem to remember six months at some point. Um, Do either of you remember? I mean, I couldn't find anything.
2: I don't think there's a a mandatory duration.
1: That's good to know. I think they might have
0: recommended like in a podcast interview you know, you not like hop in and then hop right back out. So that may be where you heard the six months.
1: Yeah, that must be it. Um, but regardless, if you do plan on testing it, make sure you give it plenty of time. Um, it's still a relatively new service and it takes time for things to gain traction for individual authors. But the fact that it's available in Canada now where their biggest, you know, readers and whatever are located is pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. I find this interesting. Um, I know in the past subscription things like I think Scribd or scribed, however it was pronounced. I think they had their own uh, uh, subscription service, and it ran into issues because there were certain readers who would make it completely not financially viable because they would read 30 books and they were not paying, uh, you know, a, a, a percentage of a thing. They were paying basically a royalty off of each read. So one reader who reads 30 books a month could eat up the profit from six readers who who you know read a standard amount. So obviously this sort of ku thing where they're dividing up a, uh, a revenue, uh, seems like it's a way that you can, you know, make sure that does not, uh, hurt your bottom line. Um, but so I also like, by the way, that they're using time as opposed to page reads. It seems like it'd be a lot, e- a lot harder to game that system. Like we've seen, seen you know, footage of people just having an array of phones, like you know, the click forms where they just go through and sweep to the end of each book, and you know, at the very least, it will take a lot more phones to to come up with a scammy way of of increasing read time. Um, so I think that's a pretty good method. It's interesting. Um, it still sort of incentivizes longer books as as the the page read thing does, but interestingly too, it incentivizes books that people read more slowly. So, uh, like, the more valuable reader, oddly enough, now is the slower reader. Uh, I don't know that necessarily people are going to figure out how to take advantage of that. But it's interesting to me that, like, how much this system resembles KU, but with a few little tweaks. I think my favorite tweak, by the way, even better than the, the reading time, is that it's not an arbitrary pool set by Amazon that says, uh, here's how much you're going to get a chunk of. It's the subscriber income divided by the amount of time. So it will, you know, realistically, it'll be a lower initial earnings because they're, assuming they're constantly growing, which we hope that they are, then early on, they're going to have lower subscribers than later on. But it also means potentially much higher in the future. If it becomes a success, uh, Amazon can just arbitrarily decide the pool is smaller, but this you know, you grow with them. So I like that. Uh, and overall, I think this is an interesting thing. I'm going to obviously try to be a part of it.
0: We should point out that right now it's not a competitor for Amazon because they're not in Canada with Kindle Unlimited. And so far, Kobo Plus is not in the U S though. it sound, it kind of sounded like they might eventually roll out into the U S so we will see. Um, I did check because I was kind of wondering if if stuff's read offline, if you're still going to get credit for it. And they say yes. I'm not sure how, if they're just, maybe they're checking your reading rate when you're online and then assuming if 100 pages passed that it took you X amount of time based on first 100 pages. So uh, it was encouraging that they've considered that. Uh, I I have seen some uh, romance authors in various Facebook groups say they're not sure this is going to be fair to them because um, they feel, you know, romance readers are very voracious, as you were talking about with the Scribe thing, and that they may read faster. And I'm actually not sure I would have to see some data on that. Uh, I think romance readers probably, the people who read romances, have more time to read, would be my guess, rather than any particular reader of a certain genre is a faster reader than another genre. I've certainly had people tell me like, Oh, I read your series on Saturday before the new one came out. I'm like this new one as in the seventh book. So that means you read books one through six on Saturday. Okay, dude, you are amazing. (laughs) I am not that fast of a reader, but, um, so I think there's fast readers across the board, especially anybody who's taken speed reading. It has a faster speed, but so I don't know if anybody, I wouldn't, my first assumption would be that anybody of a certain genre is going to get screwed over by this. Um, that's just my thinking. Again, don't have data to back that up. That just seems logical to me.
1: Uh, Can I make you a guys comment on that? Yes. yes, go ahead. Okay, actually, I was just thinking. I mean, if you think about it, they might be faster readers because romance plots are they're fast plots. They're not complicated. You don't have to remember a whole ton of people, a whole ton of systems, magic, monsters, things like that. And so, I mean, it is, it's easier to read a romance book, but it's also easier to write a romance book. And so, and I can say that because I've written romance books (laughs) and fantasy. And so I'm like, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's about time. Fantasy and sci-fi authors have a leg up (laughs) there that ticked off half our listeners. Well,
0: well, we'll see. You know, I think it's just, I mean, if it's just how many minutes people read, spend reading a day reading your books, it's not necessarily, it doesn't even matter if they finish it quickly. It's just, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I think at this point that it's probably going to be a small enough amount of money that, you know, I don't think it to me Like in KU, people make six figures a month. Um, I don't think Kobo has the readership yet for that, or, you know, I don't think there's that many people in Canada to, uh, (laughs) I don't know how many people are in Kindle Unlimited that must be reading a book to make, I don't know, that's like 25 million page reads a month, probably somewhere in there. Um, but anyway, I digress. Let's, uh, I did want to talk about though, just because... You know, this is probably going to be a trend. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, Barnes and Noble decides to start a subscription service next year or, you know, Google Play or whoever, Apple. So we need to think about it. I think so far, most of us are just kind of being reactive. Like, oh, I had to get into KU because I suddenly had less visibility in the Kindle store and it was, you know, it became harder overall because those guys were getting their borrows were counting as sales as far as uh, being in the charts and things. So, um, so anyway, here's my, just kind of my, I'll run through my thoughts on this and then ask Joe and, uh, Andrea to chime in. Some things to think about with the subscription services is that except for rare exceptions, you're going to make less from these programs than from sales. And this will probably get even rarer as time goes on. Uh, like right now, I can have a 3000 page box set in KU and maybe make like $10 or even more on that because that's on the page reads. But, uh, in the beginning Amazon didn't have a cap of 3000 pages and people were putting together like 10,000 page box sets and eventually they brought it down to 3000. I wouldn't be surprised if they brought that down even farther at some point. Uh, they'll probably be like, okay, what's the longest, a legitimate, (laughs) legitimate epic fantasy or something is, you know, okay, 800 pages, maybe that's 1200 E N P C. So, uh, I just, I think then, and just, uh, they may not pay, always pay as well as they do in the future. Uh, authors get grumpy every time the, uh, amount per page read is lower than the month before, which is understandable. We always want to do better, but I still think right now they're actually paying quite a lot for, uh what it is. You look at something like Spotify and the fractions of a penny that artists get paid when their song gets played. And, you know, the fact that you could actually make like maybe $2 on a full read of your book, that's pretty good for a subscription program. Uh, another thing to consider, of course, is what I just talked about, that the pot nature of these service services makes your earnings difficult to predict from month to month. And, um, you know, you may or may not get more visibility overall in the store by being enrolled in these programs. Um, so that's Kind of true on Amazon is that uh, you know it's likely that books in the program are pushed to subscribers to subscribers over books that are not. Does that make sense? I have a dog wandering around distracting me. Um, So there there can be some benefit for you even though you're getting paid less than you would for a sale to be in the program. So it's worth probably putting some books into it if you're not opposed to it for some reason. Um, but if all of your titles are all always available to borrow, there's basically never reason for any subscriber to buy a book. Um, but if you cycle, which of your titles are available or only have some of your backlist in there at any given time, or only have your front list in there, readers who want your other titles then have to buy them. Or they learn that if they find one that they borrow, they like it, that they should buy a copy because it won't always be in the program. Uh, this is... This is not the reason I started putting my new releases into Kindle Kindle Unlimited for a couple years and then taking them wide. But it is something that has happened as a result of that. I have often had people say, and this is the best of both worlds really, is that they read the book first in KU. So I got paid. And then they decided they wanted a copy. So they bought it and I got paid again. So the more you can kind of encourage that kind of behavior and obviously speaking of craft stuff you have to be writing the kind of books that people read and they say oh that was I love those characters I want a copy of that forever and you also have to think about if you have all of your books in there all the time there's no reason for them to ever buy a copy so and and in most of these programs I don't know if this will be true in KU or um, Kobo with the time read thing but like in KU you only get credit once if they reread it again later you don't get credit again uh, I will say if you are going to do kind of that strategy where you're part in part out, don't break it across the series that ticks off a lot of people like I always wait uh I put the full series into the like k u and I wait until everything can come out before i you know put it out other places if if you've got like i've actually seen plenty of times where authors think they're being clever by putting book one in k u and then the rest of the books in the series are not. And they're like five ninety nine and the subscriber is very bitter about that. They they'll say like it feels like a bait and switch or it's just but if you have a complete series and they're they're not gonna they're less likely to be upset, uh, especially like whenever somebody emails me like, why isn't this series in KU? I always explain the Amazon exclusivity thing. <laughs> and That has been the reason in the past, but I, you know, thinking about this now, I'm like, maybe it's just a good idea not to not always have everything in there. Um, Cause uh, what we'll talk about later in the marketing section, how much one series can lead people to read another series by you. If you know, they like your style. Uh, like I said, and my last note on this is just that it's only going to work if they really love your book. So uh, you can, I mean, you know, <laughs> if, if people are emailing you or on Facebook, the author page stalking you, demanding you to know when the next one is out, asking when such and such characters are going to hook up, you know, you know you've got fans. Um, if it's radio silence or if your sell is not great in a series, then that can be telling you something too that, you know, maybe... Work a little more on the craft stuff, or maybe this this series is not clicking for people. All right, do you guys have any thoughts on having a subscription service strategy SSS as we'll call it going forward? <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I mean, just just one thought, uh, and that's uh, subject to as Lindsay said, the page cat, which can move. Uh, so far, every book ser- subscription service that we've seen sort of implicitly favors longer books. So that means that box sets and epics are going to do better probably than short stories unless you have a lot of short stories and even if you have a lot of short story i don't mean short short books, but like even if you have a lot of short stuff, the longer single books or longer single titles are still going to do better because they're not subject to read through necessarily like you people are far more likely to finish the book they have than finish the book they have and then get the next seven books and finish all of those so if you're if you're if you're like targeting a subscription service and looking to make money, then you should be trying to find ways to put out longer material without filling it with filler. Because again, if it's boring, people aren't going to finish that either. Uh, and this is sort of speculative, based because just on a little bit of thinking about the way Kobo is doing things, Kobo doesn't require exclusivity for their subscription service, and that, therefore it might be a valid tactic. Uh, to include your box sets in a subscription service, but have your individual books not in the subscription service. Uh, As Lindsay says, if you break your your series, then you're probably going to get some bitterness. But let's say you have a full series box set. Um, It might be a valid strategy to have your full series box set as the thing that you have in the subscription service and have the individual books out of it. Just to give people... Uh, the opportunity to get the best value, like you get the best value out of them taking the box set, but then the individual books are the purchasable items because some people like to have every title on their shelf. So uh, I, again, I just, that was 45 seconds of thinking based upon the article I read, but it seems like it might be a thing you could do when exclusivity is not a problem. You usually can't do it when exclusivity is a problem because a box set contains the stories that would then have to also be exclusive in order for that box set to be in the subscription service. So this is really only possible with the way Kobos doing things right now.
1: Yeah. um, Okay. So my thoughts, I would say a lot of people are nervous about subscription models, but none of the subscription models that are available right now are permanent. And I mean, in the, grand scheme of things along. I mean, the years were authors for years, not for a few months. And so I'd say it's worth testing them all out, um, making sure that you're giving them enough time to actually work. So that begs the question, how much is enough time? Well, it depends, of course, at least six months for anything that's not in Amazon. Since Amazon is based on algorithms and not on people. Um, I know some of the other retailers have, have algorithms in place as well. But you'll also want to calculate how much you're putting into getting it to work too. So... Like most books don't automatically start selling or borrowing themselves they need a bit of a push first and then if you want ideas you can refer back to our previous episode on selling wide just make sure that you run in a couple of promotions or post about your books being available like i said nobody's going to know they exist you're not going to get um subscription downloads unless you're unless people know that they exist actually i don't even know um kobo plus if they have like some sort of internal recommendation system or anything that's based on algorithms have i couldn't see any again there's lots of questions guys <laughs> anyway um so it's a good idea to have good books available in multiple formats multiple ways just so that people can find you on um, subscriptions non-subscriptions paid free etc um and then actually i did have a question um another question there's lots like reading those articles i was like there's so many questions um are you allowed to have a free book in Cobo in Cobo press Kobo plus like what happens if you drop your book price to free i mean what happens do either of you guys know
0: They don't care as far as I could tell, as far as checking the box from the dashboard goes. I'm guessing it's like Amazon where you can have a free book in KU Mm because of the free days. And it just depends whether they click download or borrow. And you can get page page read credits on a free book if they borrowed it instead of, you know, because they're just used to clicking whatever. So sometimes they do just borrow it. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. All right. And I should say, too, when I say, you know, it's just something to consider possibly having part of your list not in it, part of your list in it. it and it's probably like for the year, like Andy was saying, you don't necessarily, this week, this series is going to be in it because that's going to mess with people. Because uh, you got to remember that people will be in the middle of a series when you take things in and out. Like I always warn folks, uh my email subscribers and like my Facebook author follower page people, if uh, like my agents of the crown series will be coming out of Kindle limited in the fall. So, because I'm going to take it wide, I, I like to give them a month or two. I'd be like, Hey, if you're in the middle of the series, go borrow the rest of them. Now um, the books, uh, at least on Amazon, I'm guessing Kobo will be the same way. They don't disappear from their device. They're just not able to borrow if, after it's out, they can't borrow them again. I've, I've had pages, page reads on books that have been out for over a year out of the program. It's just like, oh, they finally remembered it was on their Kindle and decided to read it. So, And I'm also saying, too, if you're all in with Amazon and Kindle Unlimited and it's working awesome for you, by all means, you know, go for it. I, I tend to find with my own stuff that anyway, after I finish up a series and move on to another series, especially if I'm moving to another genre, that the page reads will naturally go down as I'm you know not promoting that series as much so for me that's sort of the time when i take it wide but i I know some people are like book 20 of their series you know and they're all in the same genre and they probably still have fabulous page reads on earlier stuff that they put out like five years ago and um keep doing whatever's doing you know what's best for you this is just if you if you're kind of on the fence or not certain of it or you're wary that uh you know i like i said i don't know if amazon's gonna reduce the pay, payout rate for page reads anytime in the future. There are one people, one people, one business in this COVID times, these COVID times that are uh, rocking it, you know? So there's, there's also something to be said to uh, hitching your wagon to like the biggest horse, you know? Uh, so, Hopefully, it will still continue to be good times. I mean, I'm in there too, guys. I I get the all-star bonuses a lot of months. So I, I love that money. Keep it coming, Amazon. But um, I'm not in there with my whole catalog. And I, I kind of like that. It does create some problems with the readers but and confusion. <laughs> but that's how it is. Uh, and again, with Cobalt Flush, you don't have to be exclusive. So you can more easily experiment without worrying about, uh, I don't know, worrying about things. Let's move on. <laughs> Do you guys have any more thoughts or move on to the marketing stuff? No more thoughts. Okay. We rambled enough. I rambled enough. So, Andrea, I think this was your idea for a topic. So, Andrea's going to have awesome marketing insights when it's her turn. Um, but uh, I have one to start out with. Uh, something that's working, been working well this last year or two for me is that kind of, I alluded to this earlier, but in a change from what you usually hear, which is that your front list sells your back list, my backlist has been selling helping to sell my front list. Uh how is that I've talked about on the show before how last year I did two 99 cent complete series bundles for two of my five book fantasy series uh, they they were both in Kindle Unlimited this was kind of for each of them the last hurrah before I was going to take them out and go wide so I thought well hey let's bundle them up and see if they can make some good money before uh, I leave and they both uh, especially the Heritage of Power one which was the first one I did which had sold really well when I released it individually that one did super well the second one was Agents of agents of the Crown, which is just a, I don't know, kind of a little fantasy mystery thing. I, I sell it really well, guys. I'm excellent at elevator pitches, <laughs> so look out, agents and publishers, if I ever see you. The fantasy mystery thing uh, also did not as well, but it still it made quite a bit of money off of the KU page reads, but... Uh, sort of an unforeseen perk was, was that uh, through this process, because a lot of people were also buying them and reading them. Of course, they were only 99 cents, but I wouldn't you? I got a lot more followers on Amazon, more readers of my fantasy overall. And this year in February, when I released the first book in my Death Before Dragons series, the urban fantasy, even though this was a kind of a genre hop, uh, it was a new genre for me, was still under the fantasy ballpark. So it was, you know it probably would have worked better if it had been another sort of epic fantasy, high fantasy thing. But I had, you know, I think I mentioned this on the show before that I had like the Amazon pre-order alert went out before I was ready, basically. And I had like 900 sales that day, which for me was, you know, I think in the past I'd had maybe like 600 or something. Uh, this was on a 99-cent book. So I don't know if it had been a new series at 4.99, These box set readers might have been, forget it. Um, but so anyway, I, I kind of thought about like, why, you know, why why did that do so much better than my others? And I'm like, well, I guess I fought, picked up a whole bunch of new followers on Amazon that got that alert as a result of just selling thousands of copies of these box sets the year before. So, uh, you know, and even though it was 99 cents, I've had plenty of people go on and buy the following ones at 4.99, And of course, a lot of KU readers picked it up too. Uh, I think it would have been even more impressive or dramatic on my... If it had been in the same genre. But um, I also... I was like, shoot, let's, as long as these box sets are doing well, I go ahead and, uh, in February, I went ahead and put the first chapter of the Urban Fantasy in the back of the one that was still in KU. And I had uh, at least one person say that, yes, that led them to check out my new series. And I always figure with the stuff that for every one person who tells you something like that, I found your books on BookBub, or I, you know, I found you in this box set, that there's probably at least 10 other people who found you that way but didn't say anything. Because how many people actually reach out to the author? That's a pretty small percentage. Um, so in summary it may be worth kind of revisiting your backlist not just to revitalize it and sell more copies of it anyway like it was a relaunch or a box set or even just running a big sale if you haven't done that for a series maybe you finished it up five years ago or something you know not only you get the win from selling books that are already complete so everything you earn is you know gravy uh, and then it can lead people you know to buy your new series which you know advertising's great spending thousands of dollars on amazon ads this is fantastic who doesn't love doing that but even better <laughs> is when somebody sends out one email you send out an email or amazon or bookbub send out the follower alert to your book and you make thousands of dollars from that so that it's always a bonus so that that's just been one thing that worked for me and that i will be keeping in mind going forward uh timing possibly of like sales of the backlist so another case is that i've had lucky enough to get a book club for my dragon blood series box set even though it was a free uh box set at the same time as i had released my heritage of power which was the spin-off series and that really i had a nice boost for a couple weeks in the rankings of that uh new series because I was lucky enough to have the book bug for a related series at the same time so backlist to sell the front list that's my marketing tip for the day (laughs) next uh
2: interestingly enough because of the uh, as I've been calling the year of six uh I've been thinking a lot about my backlist and in my case, it's sort of like I, I, I set book promotion to hard mode for this entire year because I'm trying to revitalize in sequence three different backlists, and it's not easy. Uh, and my methods have been hit or miss. Um, I've spoken about how I've been doing full series discounts. Uh, B- book of Deacon, well, I should say I've been doing There's only There's been one launch in the Book of Six so far because the next one is the one that I'm setting up right now. But... Uh, it's, uh, I, I discount the entire series. The first book is already free. And then every subsequent book is $1 more than the previous one until the most recent release, which is full price. And I also have been setting the book, uh, the, the box sets of each one, which are usually the first three books. In the case of book of Deacon, it's a few more. Uh, I've been setting that to 99 cents as well. So like that is my standard backlist. Let's juice up the sales and also rev up for the new release. Um, the of this next one for a free rent six, like it worked well enough for, for a book of Deacon. I definitely made my money back using this strategy. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, spectacular. It, it extended the long tail a little bit. Like I didn't have a 30 day cliff as a result of this. I had sort of a 45 day cliff because there was a lot of people who were still sort of working their way through the books they got for cheap. And then they picked up the new, the new one, but it didn't like put me back into the fabled six figures that I would really like to be back in this year. Um, but, you know, it was encouraging enough for me to continue it. So for Free wrench 6, I am going to be doing the same thing with the uh, the staggered prices and, uh, uh, you know, the full series. But I'm also going to try to do some stacked uh, featured promos, like, you know, the, the individual sites that send you know, I mean, if I get a book bug, fantastic. But the smaller ones, they're a little bit more reliable. Do a few, Do a full week of those if I can. And I'm also going to try to be a little bit more aggressive with the ads uh, and see if this scales well. If it does, then fantastic. I got a third one on the way. Um, but the other thing, and this is sort of like I haven't made my decision on this yet, is now that I'm going to have six books in each of these series, what should I do with box sets? My my current plan is to not have a second box set. I'll just I'll have the book, first three books as a box set, and that's it. But the two other options are to do a full series box set, which is not a terrible idea. Uh, or to do a a four, five, six box set. So I have two box sets, like volume one, volume two. And there's pros and cons for both of them. The only one that that, that concerns me about the full series one is if I do a full series box set, that means that I've got the individual books and then I've got the first box set, which has books one, two, and three. And then I've got a full series that's also got books one, two, and three. And now I've basically sold, I am selling the same book three times, which seems shady. Shady enough, in fact, that I feel like Amazon might have a word with me if I did it. Uh, So I don't know. I haven't made that decision. But some sort of box set methodology is in my future as well. I just have to pick what it is.
1: I love box sets. They're so much fun to market. They're they're easier to market than individual books because you have such leeway with price, you know? You can sell it at five ninety nine and say it's a discount from nine ninety nine. Um anyway, okay, so um Lindsay gave a whole bunch of build up to my part and my part's not that dramatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So my my biggest goal right now is to build up my newsletter list. Um, for the past, I don't know, like year, I've been focusing on trying to find a place where I could put it that would be stable and that I wouldn't lose readers. I mean, because like I was saying on Sendy, I was actually losing email addresses, thousands of them. And so I didn't focus on building it during that time. And that's not good because um, for those who don't know, even healthy lists lose about 14% every year. And so, if you're not actively building it, you're actively losing. And so, my biggest goal is to build up my newsletter list. Again, I've only got like 6,000 people on it right now, which, you know, sounds like a lot, but it's not, not when it's not as healthy as it has been in the past. Um, I have, and I'm going to be doing that through, first off, through Facebook Legion ads, which I've talked about. Uh, I've got one set up currently that matches the cover for my Mosaic Chronicles. And so, it's, the image from the main the main series, not my Academy Urban Fantasy book covers right now, but the ones that I usually keep to represent the books. Um, so it's it's that one. And then I'm going to be setting up ones that match um, the Coven Chronicles and the Klenia Chronicles because that exclusive box set that I'm advertising has stories from all of these, genre, all of these uh, series in it. Um, and so my goal is to have three ads, uh, total maybe four. And uh, I've usually struggled with uh, successfully scaling Facebook ads past $10 a day. As soon as I get up there, they stop working as well. And I mean, I've, I mean, you know, I'm trying to remember, it's kind of like people usually recommend around 30% of a scale. When I talked to um, a Facebook rep, she told me don't do more than 10% of a scale, uh, which is a tiny amount when you're scaling, you know, and then she's like, allow at least a week or two in between for the algorithms to map, you know, catch up well when i did it that way versus when i did it um the way that was that's that's taught by i think mark dawson and a couple other people um they never go past ten dollars for me it doesn't matter what i do and so i have found more success duplicating my ads so that's what i'm going to continue doing um and then my other way i'm going to be building up be building up my newsletter list is through giveaways and that on king sumo specifically they've i bought their um their program um A few years ago, but it's they have it on the web on a website now for free, and I haven't really dug into it. But it looks easier than it was um, trying to remember my login for the specific WordPress site because I don't use WordPress very much Um, anyway. So I'm looking forward to digging into that and seeing how much flexibility there is there and um, running a bunch through there. I'm going to target one through Facebook ads, um, and so I it will only be available through people who find it on Facebook and of course I'm targeting my specific readers that way and then I'm also I haven't done one um for my current readers in a really long time I kind of feel bad about that it's been at least a year I like to do them every six months um just because they are on my list they read my my emails I want to give them something you know exciting so I'm going to be emailing next week um I'll have emailed yesterday when this podcast episode goes live. I'm going to pull them and ask if they pref- if they would prefer a Kindle Paperwhite, cash in that amount to one winner, um, cash in that amount to more than one winner. So split that up and then or print books of mine in that amount to one winner. Um, and I'm only going to tell my readers about it once it does go live and once I decide what to give away. And um, I don't need to put a ton of time into this because what I'll do is I'll tell them and then they'll tell people. And so King Sumo, King Sumo for those who have not heard, is a fantastic way to have viral giveaways. Um, it's not as... I haven't had huge, huge giveaways recently because I haven't really pushed giveaways for a while. But I've had, you know, off of single one author, me giveaways i've had up to ten thousand subscribers in the past through one giveaway and so i mean of course your results may vary your miles whatever all of that um but it is still a really really great way to get uh, people to sign up for giveaways because it's very easy and it's very simple and it doesn't require a whole ton of work so like you know those giveaways where they're like go like this and go comment on this and go tag somebody in this and go tell somebody why your favorite color is purple and this one they just enter their email address and it's really easy Anyway, so that's what I've got on the books for myself for the next little while.
0: When you do the newsletters that are based off of giveaways, do you do like a separate list? I feel like we've probably talked about this before and my memory is horrible, but do you have like one for people who sign up from the back of the book and actually like your books and (laughs) know they do? Do you do a different list
1: for uh, the people that you get more uh, cold from the giveaways? Yeah. I have uh, multiple automation sequences, multiple lists, and they go through my automation sequence. And then, you know, if it's a really, really like, it depends on the giveaway. So if it's, if I don't get a whole lot of interaction from the people who sign up through that giveaway, then what I do is I just automatically unsubscribe people who are not responding at the end of it. Um, but if I'm, and but what I generally do is just have them go through my automation sequence and I remind them regularly in each email that they can unsubscribe if they want to, because in that way, they kind of clean themselves out. And then at the end of my automation sequence, which takes about a month, um, I put everybody in my main list. And I know it would probably be better for numbers and reporting wise um, if I were to keep everybody separate, but that's just too much admin work for me. I'd rather just have one main list that things get fed into automatically. And then, you know, yeah
0: i will say on the topic of newsletters and also backlist that um we've talked about before how we do bonuses a lot of the times like i've done second epilogues and i've done prequel novellas and um i occasionally think like like my fallen empire series i wrote that in like 2016 it's pretty much done uh you know but you still have to sign up to the newsletter to get the second epilogues on the two books where i did them so that's one way that I've thought about it, maybe I should put all that stuff out, like put it for sale, you know, make it non exclusive. But I still get people that sign up to the newsletter that are working their way through that series. So that's also a way to kind of like keep the subscribers trickling in and the newsletter growing. Assuming you're, you know, I every now and then I try to get, you know, probably once a year, I have so many series at this point that, I'll, but you know, once a year at least I'll do like a promo of the free book one. And, you know, I'm always, I don't necessarily constantly advertise all the old series, but I like once a year I'll try to do maybe a big promo where I get try to get a bunch of free downloads of the fruit. Free book one, and I'll kind of rotate to which series have a free book one, and which ones is just you got to pay the four ninety nine. That's just how it is. <laughs> um, but anyway, so leaving those uh, bonus old bonuses as exclusive to the newsletter has been also a way for me to kind of keep the subscribers growing. Because, like Andrea said, uh, you're always going to get unsubscribers, especially every time you email. <laughs> There's people that are like I don't remember who this is or why I'm on this list, and it's probably spam. And you're like, what you signed up. <laughs> So, try not to take that personally All right, my next tip, I think we all have one more on er, maybe Joe does not. Joe. <laughs> uh, one I more tip think about one. All right, you you think while andrea and I are talking <laughs> and get all ready if you want. <laughs> no pressure though. Um the other thing that's kind of working well for me right now, uh, again, we're recording this in July 2020. Still very much covid times, especially in the US where uh not doing too well as a country, uh, getting that under uh, control. But so we've still got a lot of people, uh, tenuous economic times, and I'm finding that free series starters are doing super well for me on Amazon right now, which is in contrast to, uh, I think, for the last few years, people have been talking about how Amazon free is not what it once was, but you know, I would say the last two, three months uh, in particular, I was looking at my dragon blood one through three bundle. I was thinking of making it paid again because I tend to uh, go back and forth and try to get a book club ad after it's been paid for a while, drop it back to free. And um, I was like, maybe I should raise the price up now. But I was like, wow, this had 6,000 downloads last month. And it looks 6,000 again already in July and I'm not doing anything to advertise it. Um, that, that is one that's always done well for me. But uh, I think that right now, free books are getting a lot of attention again on Amazon. And even though I find that there's only about like a 10% people will call it sell through, but they didn't buy the first book. So there was nothing, I'm not sure that's quite the right term, but uh, it might only be about 10%. And I would say with that one right now, it's more like 8% are actually going on to buy book four. Um, you know, you're going to have a much higher sell through on a paid book one because they had to, Decided, you know, it's a little more like, oh, it's four ninety nine. Am I going to pay that or not? Uh, so I find the sellers a lot better when my book one was they had to pay for it. But if you're just moving six thousand free copies by doing nothing, uh, that you know that ends up being like I think I have five hundred sales of book four, and actually that series because the book one or actually it's a bundle has been doing well on free. Once again, this is a series that's been complete for like five years. Uh, Once again, it's crept up into like the steampunk charts, which I will be the first to admit steampunk is not a popular category on Amazon and it's not that hard to get on those charts. But considering these are old books, uh, you know, I, I decided just go in on July 20th when I was putting these notes together and click the boxes to see just how that series is doing. And it's uh, nine novels and a novella, and it you know in the first twenty days of July it had made six thousand for the month just on Amazon. So uh, plus whatever it makes on the other sites, so probably about eight thousand uh, by the end of the month. Basically all based on. I mean, some of those people are going to check it out because they're reading some of my other stuff right now, but um, it's basically that box set, the free box set that they're downloading. And I think, it, like I said, it always does okay, but it's really up there right now, and I think it's just that people are trying to save money. And um, again, if that is what people are doing, you have to have a series, that particular box set. I didn't put the series together well, the first two books are individual books, but by book three, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a series. And so three ends on a cliffhanger. So they, you know, if they want to go on to four, they have to pay for it. Um, So anyway, that, you know, that's going to end up probably being, if not six figures by itself, that series this year pretty close, uh, probably six figures by the time you add in the other sites, that one pretty does well everywhere. Um, and that, that's on no ads. That's just, that's an old series uh, that's, you know, got free book ones and stuff. So my takeaway from that, like I said, is that free is working well for me this year on all of my stuff seems to be up a little bit. That's free for the book ones. Um, and you know, that series, it's you know that particular series i started publishing like 2013 it's made over a million dollars lifetime and it has my cheapest covers and it you know i would say max of ten thousand lifetime i've spent on advertising for that just because the only thing i've ever done for that one is bookbub ads when i could get them um and so just my point with this is that you don't have to be in ku necessarily that one's always been wide you don't have to necessarily spend tons of money um Not all my other series have done as well, so there's that too. Um, But this one is actually not written to market or anything close. It's sort of a biplanes in an industrial revolution setting in a high fantasy world. It's sort of steampunk meets epic fantasy, but not really either. Um, So then the question is, why am I not writing more series like that (laughs) instead of jumping to other stuff? But anyway... Rambling story there is just to say that free seems to be working quite well right now on Amazon. Uh, It wouldn't necessarily make something free if you don't have it leading into other things, but if you do, uh, it can be powerful right now. Again, without even if you advertise it even better, you know. I I don't usually do pay per click ads on the free ones though because you know if you're looking at you can organically get a thousand just from being found in the list or from getting a $25 promo from a site, am I really going to want to pay 50 cents a click to get, and that's not even a guaranteed download. They might hit the page and go, eh, not for me. So I find that the pay-per-click stuff with free, it's it's not that you can't make it work. It's just that there are other things that give you a lot more downloads for your money. And I have, I'm not convinced that the readers are so much greater if they've clicked an Amazon ad first (laughs) before uh, getting your free book. All right, that's, uh, I think I'm done rambling there and moving back to Andrea. And Joe came up with something he said. So guys, wait
1: for it yep um okay so that's actually kind of fascinating honestly like it's hard as an author like what is it about that series that has i mean like you said you haven't spent that much money in advertising that's and i've been looking over my series and it's just it's it's just weird seeing how much some of them make and how much how little some of them make you know in comparison when how with how much money goes into ads and things like that um okay so just some marketing thoughts um, hypothetical questions. Um, I've just been thinking a lot lately about how coronavirus has changed things for so many readers. My royalties are usually low in the summer, but they've been higher than usual. Um, in, I mean, today, this month is not as good of a month as June was. June was really good, but, and then we'll obviously see how August goes, but it's just really weird how things have been affected. You know, I usually have low royalty months in, in the summer and they're not, it doesn't seem to have been that bad this year. Um, and so I'm like, you know, people usually read, you know, usually promote authors, usually promote beach reads late in spring, early summer, um, have current situations. How have the current situations, sorry, affected that? And, um, I don't know, honestly, like how are beach reads doing right now? I, I want to hear about that. Like how, how are read books that, traditionally do very well in the summer doing. And then if this is all going on in the winter, um, how are how are Christmas books going to handle, you know, what like what sorts of things are going to happen? Are Christmas books going to just skyrocket or be, you know, the normal or whatever. I'm just, I'm very fascinated by this. And then also I'm, I'm saying, I'm going to say, let's assume that the current circumstances will be how things are for a few years. You know, that's not really what we want to hear, but um, what if, I mean, how are we going to go about marketing our books? Will, will it change anything at all? Um, I'm going to, assume probably not a whole lot just because most authors um i don't know a lot of us we stay at home anyway um but it's going to affect things you know if if the last few months continue then where are we going to be in a couple of years you know um but and then like i said above i'm just going to continue focusing on growing my newsletter list and then just see you know see where things go it's just it's just interesting to me just you know like what's going to (laughs) happen
0: interesting in the world is falling apart kind of way <laughs> economic yeah. downturn at least as indie authors writing books that are like 5.99 and under for the most part i won't say that we won't feel anything but we're a little easier for us to kind of move and adapt and react maybe more quickly than uh, traditional publishing so it's not we don't have the worst job that you could have right now by far especially if you are fortunate enough to be able to stay home and I think most of us, most listeners probably still work in a day job of some kind or another, but it's a very nice time to be a work from home person, I will say. I- I feel that way. I'm grateful for sure right now. Go ahead, Joe.
2: That's for sure. I know that one of the big things that happened with COVID, especially early on, was with like when there was summer. Now there wouldn't be school anyway. But like when kids got taken out of school, there was a tremendous number of people who started getting uh, children's books in in ebook form. And traditionally, children's books have not done well in ebooks because. You know, it's a tactile experience storytelling, uh, and uh, I know that early on in COVID, children's books got huge, and some of the, some of the, the established children's books hit the bestseller list again on on ebook alone, just because nobody had a, a copy available and they needed them right now. So, I mean, that sort of thing I'm sure will come along. Um, and uh, so, the point that I was going to make is, like, I average three to five book releases a year, which is incredibly fast by some people's standards, but by rapid release standards, pretty slow. Uh, which is why I don't call myself a rapid release uh, author. But uh, it is useful to keep your readers engaged. Uh, and that means having something that you can talk about all the time. Uh, and I have found that because I do the Patreon, I always, like, I have technically have a release every month. And it's just going to the patrons, and it's just a, a short story. But it always is something new that I've been writing and it always is something new that I can talk about. So even if you're not the kind of person to write short stories, even if you don't want to write a monthly short story, I think there's a lot of value in having a structured sort of monthly thing to talk about. Uh, It will make you have better engagement on social media. It'll uh, make your newsletters more interesting. So I think that a thing that you should keep in mind, if you are an author who is not going to be releasing a new book every month or every two months, is sure to have something interesting going on to just sort of engage readers in the in-between time and for me that's the patreon for others it might be i know a lot of uh a lot of other authors are much bigger readers than i am and they're much more interested in sharing what they've been reading but just in general i think if you can build a, a monthly or even weekly structure uh that you can keep people engaged on i think it's going to help everything across the board so it's a thing that uh, i have found a, an unexpected side effect of my patreon that i'm i'm, I'm i've found very valuable
0: yeah, I think that I, I share a lot of the snippets and things and I feel like it's a good time too. if you can be that person that's providing content, like on your social media that is not political, <laughs> is not disease plague, that there's a I mean, a lot of authors are talking about that stuff too. And I don't want to tell anybody what to talk about. But I, I do think there's people that are like relieved to have a place to go get some new cool stuff tidbit from your upcoming books. That's just a little bit of a break from everything that's going on and certainly some value there um all right we have a couple listener questions andrea did you want to start things off
1: sure okay so amanda asks so i know that three of you have multiple series do you have any advice for me i am almost finished writing my second book in a two-book series hundred thousand words each women's fiction any ideas for how to release and market price of book one at release and then drop and then price drop or free when book two releases time between releases of book one and book two
2: Um, traditionally my series series releases have not been terribly well planned. I typically start a series uh, with a a rough idea of where it's going to go, but don't really plan it as a whole. So I would say the advice of Andrea and Lindsay are probably going to be more useful to you, but, uh, like just very basically, I would say, I would suggest pricing book one pretty low from the start. And I would suggest putting out book two about four weeks after book one, uh, that's it's just with the material that you have. Uh, that's what I would suggest. But a hundred thousand words each is pretty lengthy. So, like when I say price low, maybe not perma free, um, but because you only have two books, so perma free needs a reasonably longer series. If you're only ever going to have two, then I would I would suggest maybe not perma free right away on book one.
1: And I'm kind of torn on the price, honestly, for book one. Um, with the series only being a two book series, it's it'll take a while for you to recover costs, kind of like what Joe was saying, and gain traction with marketing um, because lost leaders, that's a huge marketing tactic. Um, with there only being two books in the series, a rapid release situation wouldn't really be applicable. Um, though you could release book two like four weeks later, um, and then turn if I were you, then turn your focus to writing more books. Um, I honestly wouldn't worry about marketing until you have five or so books available in the same genre. Assuming, of course, th- these are your first books. Um, if they aren't, then maybe try a few promotional campaigns before really focusing on advertising through any of the main ads places. And what I mean by that, like Facebook or Amazon, BookBub, etc. Just See how your book responds in places that do actual advertising, like BookBub featured deals or Book Barbarian Robin Reads, etc. It's usually cheaper than running an ad on Facebook when you haven't finished learning how to make those types of things effective. So that's just my advice.
0: I would say part of this probably depends too if you're going to go exclusive with Amazon and be in Kindle Unlimited, in which case doing a 99 cent book one at least for the launch could make sense because you could potentially get a lot more sales and get some extra visibility. And because you're doing 100,000 word books, you know that's going to be a pretty good amount of pages to be read. So you would make more than the 35 cents. You, I don't know what that is a dollar fifty two dollars at least I should think uh, for a full read. Um, you know and that's just i it's never anything that you have the pricing is very fluid you know you can change your prices whenever you want I with two books you know I would ask you are you think because you mentioned that you might do free or something later when book two releases I think if you're gonna do a price drop later like within the first few months even the first year of having released book one you might as well launch book one at that price so nobody's gonna feel jilted later on especially if you do have a mailing list and you have readers already that are lined up that are going to buy it for you. I always feel like those are the people you should treat the best. You don't want to like make them pay full price and then, like, hey, you know, two months later it's 99 cents. So that's something to consider. And you, you know, you can always try it for two weeks and then go, nope, I'm going to be four ninety nine. dollars uh, This is a good book, women's fiction. That's, yeah, I also to look and see what the prices are in that category. My, I haven't looked. My gut feeling would be that they're probably higher than average uh, than a lot of the, like romance categories. Um, so see to what the prices are and what they'll bear. So lots to, lots to consider. There's no right answer with pricing. Sometimes it's just experiment and realize that you're not locked in. But I, I think if you are going to plan to lower the price for sales later on, you might as well start at that price, then put it up to like $2.99 or $4.99. And then you, once again, later when you release two, uh, you can run the promos and drop it to 99 cents. And that lets you hit up all the sites that promote sales. Uh, so, and as far as how far apart, I think was part of the question too. You know, that's, I, I would probably, if that's going to be it for a while, you know, you might not want to have it all coming in in the same month. You might want to release one, put the pre-order up for two, you know, try to get as many people into it as you can. And I uh, try to get a uh, newsletter signups possibly too. And, and maybe you want that to come out a couple months later, but have the pre-order up right away is good. So you can capture those people when they just finished one and they're still excited about it. All right. I think, am I answering? No, Joe's asking the next question.
2: Yep. All right, This one is from Patty. Um, what are your thoughts on 99 cent box sets and what would you use them as a promo and and would you use them as a promo tool? Uh, it definitely drives higher page reads. I'm more interested in finding out what the hosts think long term. Does it train readers to expect too much for too little? Is it sustainable? Is it necessary to maintain an edge over competition? Would readers prefer an amazing story at a standard price over a mediocre story that costs peanuts, etc.? And I would say that for your own box sets, 99 cents is a good promo price, but I probably wouldn't leave it at 99 cents personally because the flexibility of a higher price is one of the things that I like about box sets. Uh, Readers already expect books at rock bottom prices. Uh, I don't think it's necessary for you to give yourself an edge over the competition by having a very low price box set because it doesn't really give you an edge over the competition. They could do the same thing. Um... There's so many ways to promo uh, and use pricing. There's no one best way, like Lindsay was saying. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily assume that a free or a 99 cent box set is the way to go. Uh, as for amazing stories versus mediocre ones, readers are for sure uh, going to prefer amazing stories, but in order to know that the story is amazing, they have to read it. So there's still the issue of getting them to pick it up, which is why the whole price promo thing is a thing that needs to be discussed no matter what
1: um okay so i usually aim for free or for 4.99 to 5.99 for box sets that are first in the series so basically i discount from 9.99 where i can when when i can still get that 70 percent royalty price um i don't discount box sets of the books in them aren't discounted though since a box set is already a discount uh, in most cases of course um, i only discount a box set if there's a full price box set that follows um, this includes perma-free box sets. So, for example, right now I've got um, the first Mosaic Chronicles box set is like five ninety-nine, and then the rest of them are nine ninety-nine. And that is, and then the first Clay Chronicles box set is perma-free, and then the other one is nine ninety-nine. All of my box sets are generally nine ninety-nine, and then I usually will try to keep one at perma-free, and then one at four ninety-nine to five ninety-nine. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I would see this as a tool as something you can use to like if you're in KU you can exploit you're kind of exploiting the power of the page reads you know like I said, I was getting ten dollars for a full read through on that ninety nine cent box set so I didn't care that thousands of people were also getting it for th- I was getting $0.35 cents on their $0.99 cent purchase because over here on the other side, there was a lot of page reads coming in. Um, I haven't done like $0.99 cent full series wide because there isn't that page read element. But having, you know, what I was talking about with the backlist stuff, I would consider it now knowing that, especially if it kind of fed into another one of my series. Uh The complete series stuff does work really well in box heads. Readers like that uh, even more than like just three books that are one through three. So, you know, it's... It's something that I would say, do it if you have a reason to do it. I wouldn't just go like, Hey, I, I can't sell these books. So I'm just going to make them 99 cents. You know? Um, I think that readers as far as, um, training readers to expect certain prices, uh, if you keep the majority of your catalog at a higher price, I don't think this is going to be much of an issue. Most of my books now are 4.99. Uh, some are 3.99 that are older or shorter books. But, um, I don't ever have anybody say like, "Oh, that's too expensive every now and then I get somebody that's a KU person and wants to know why they can't get the rest of the books in KU, but even that's pretty rare. I think that readers are pretty used to things being on sale, but not necessarily a whole catalog being on sale. And if, People really like your stuff. Most of them aren't going to flip out over, you know, th- things going from 99 cents to 4.99. As indies were still a really good deal at 4.99 compared to the 14.99 uh, ebooks that come out of traditional publishing. But I, I feel that in g- general, authors worry about training the readers more than is probably a thing. (laughs) But that's just my opinion uh, because I haven't had that experience. I haven't had much pushback uh, as far as people going up to higher prices. If anything, more often than not, people tell me I don't charge enough. So, uh, which is good. (laughs) Good, good, as opposed to like, you're cheapskating, you know, or you're jilting us or whatever the term is. But I, I also try to always... Uh, yeah, I forget the expression. As Andrea and I are both excellent at mangling expressions, uh, overdeliver and undercharge. I believe that I like to really give them a really good value so I have only one book that's over $4.99 it's $5.99 and it's 210,000 words <laughs> so and that one I think had eight POVs it was a fantasy so um, that's just my thought there are other indies that will do $7.99, $0.99 and, and sell fine and there's no reason why you shouldn't if you want to do that but um, again 99 cents can be a good tool can get to a lot of people a lot more readers if you're able to actually move thousands of copies of a book or box set at 99 cents so that's something to consider too. Not just like how much am I going to earn this month from this particular title? All right. Do you guys have any more thoughts? Should we wrap up? We've been talking over an hour. I'm pretty thoughtless right now. (laughs) I'm I'm thinking about my spaghetti that I made before the show (laughs) didn't have time to eat and it's waiting for me. All right. Well, let's wrap it then. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes, uh, links to those Kobo articles that I quoted from over at the website. I think we're this is episode 49. If you have a question or comment, you can leave it there at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. Of course, we are in the Facebook group. If you want to ask questions, that's a great place to do it too. Six Figure Authors, look us up or again, in the show notes, I'll put the link. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. See you.
2: So long, everybody.